Hey y'all! This episode was recorded on Zoom, so the audio quality won't be as lovely as our usual stuff. Hope you'll stick with us, because the guests and conversations are still fantastic. Thanks! Hello, and welcome to Inquiries. You may be asking yourself, what is this podcast about? Well, Inquiries are questions. We're asking questions about how facets of libraries and queer community intersect, but make it gay. We are your roseate guides. I am Shannon Pruka, pronouns she, they. I'm Lisa Cusho, pronouns she, Aya. I am Michael Dunbar-Rodney, pronouns he, him. And I'm Dakri Lambert, pronouns she, her. And Tyler, yeah. if you'd like to introduce yourself with your pronouns, and then I will give my introduction for you, if that's okay. <laughs> sure. I am Tyler Fetter. My pronouns are she, her. Thank you so much. So today we have Tyler with us. Super, super excited. Uh, major fangirl of Tyler Fetter over here. And I think I have brought my podcast group to the dark side as well. Um, so Tyler is the author of Dancing at the Pity Party and a really amazing kids book called Bodies Are Cool. She is also a contributor to Here We Are, Feminism in the Real World. She's illustrated several books, including Unladylike and Together We March, the covers of Demystifying Disability and Dress Coded. And along with her other published works, Tyler runs a longstanding shop called Roaring Softly. And really, really exciting on the horizon, I see that Tyler has a new book coming out in September titled Are You Mad at Me? It's about Opal the ostrich who has a wobbly neck because of anxiety. And I'm so excited to get that for my babies and read it to them and to myself. In her work, Tyler explores themes of feminism, big feelings, inclusivity, grief, pop culture, and parenthood. And I am super excited that you're here, Tyler. I cannot say it enough. Thank you for agreeing to be with us. And I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about Tyler, the person. I think I did a little bit of an introduction of Tyler, the professional. What does Tyler, the person look like? Oh, that's so, that's such a fun question. Thank you so much for having me. Um, honestly, Tyler, the person is pretty darn close to Tyler, <laughs> the author illustrator. Um, I've been really into drawing since I was very little. Um, I always like to say that I finger painted the invitations to my first birthday party. Obviously, that wasn't my decision, but <laughs> it fits with my narrative. Um, uh, artist, I have two younger sisters that I'm super, super close to. I live in Chicago. I have um, a cat who I love and who is also a real stinker um, and makes my life very difficult sometimes. And he may be showing up in the background at some point. Um, I recently learned to crochet and I have gotten obsessed with it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I love doing podcast interviews. It's like just meeting nice people. Oh, thank you so much. Honestly. Yeah, we're very excited to have you. Um, we like to start off our podcast episodes with a an easy question or like a fun icebreaker type question. So today, um, what we want to know from you is if Tyler was an action figure, what would Tyler come with? What kind of props would you have? Love that. I would have like a little tiny bottle of Lexapro. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Uh, I'd have my enormous emotional support water bottle that's the size of my head. Um, probably my iPad because that's what I draw on. And uh, probably a cat too. That's fair. I love that. Yeah. For a quick note for listeners, we are recording this on Zoom. So when we refer to like things showing up or like acting like we can see each other, it's because we can, we're on screen. So sorry, you don't get to see that. 
Uh, I was no, referring I to my water bottle literally being the size of my head because it is. I was holding it. it. That's yeah. all you need. It's blue. <laughs> if you all hear a sudden gasp, it's because the cat has wandered into the background. <laughs> yeah. And conversation will completely derail. It's fine. I think we're pretty much all cats. So how will they know? <laughs> I did already spy the cat tree, and I was like, maybe we'll see the cat. <laughs> What's your cat's name, by the way? I have to kind of know. I have to ask. Oh, sure. Yeah, his name is Mitzvah, uh, like Bar Mitzvah. He was my <laughs> dad's cat first, so my dad named him, and then he married um, someone who's allergic to cats. Oh, no. So oh, I got man. him. <laughs> uh, and when I first got him, he was still, like, little he was maybe like two years old or something and I was like maybe I'll change his name but it just felt too weird so I almost exclusively call him like fuzzy and stuff I never use his real name mitzvah's his government name (laughs) (laughs) fantastic I mean I think anyone who has an animal probably has like 15 other names for them outside of their government name absolutely um one of my cats I when the first God of War, the the recent two God of War games came out, and Kratos kept calling his son boy. Uh, we had a male cat, and he was fairly young at the time, so we all spouse just started calling him boy, <laughs> and that is one of his names now. <laughs> it's terrible. So every time um, I meet a cat person, I love cats too, but I don't have one right now. Um, I ask people if they've ever played the game Cat Lady. It's a tabletop game. I've never heard of it. It's so much fun. I need to own this. Hold on. What? It's so much fun. They, it's, it's different cards that you flip over, and the more cats that you get, the more points. If you feed them, <laughs> you get them toys. And they have fun names, uh, like LeVar Purton. <laughs> Which is my favorite cat on the game. And it's so much fun. You have to get it. You can get it at any like game store. They should totally, you know, <clears throat> pay me for advertisement because I talk about it all the time. But not sponsored. Uh... Yes, if you're yeah, not sponsored, but uh, <laughs> I love the game Cat Lady and International Cat Day is coming up August 8th. Um so I plan on uh, bringing it for one of our programs. So anyways, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I recently did a, um, a freelance project for the schnazzy cat food brand called Cat Person. And I found out that there's also an International Cat Lady Day. And it's my birthday. <laughs> and I never knew until this year when I worked with them. I've been a cat lady since uh, I was born. <laughs> there were a lot of international cat lady days that I could have been celebrating that I have. Right. I'm really glad to know. April. Obvi- yeah. My obviously husband. this year you have to catch up. You need to have right. like a huge party. And it has to be a cat lady themed. Um, I mean, anything I do is kind of already <laughs> cat lady themed. So... <laughs> That I can fair. put in a little extra work. <laughs> so I, I hate that I I have to be the one uh, to do this. But aside from cat ladyship, <laughs> what other questions do we have? <laughs> well, we'll start with something that like I feel is very appropriate, and that is what drew you. What draws you to the color pink? Because you have it in your bio, you say like obviously you're into pink. It's obviously all over Pity Party, and Bodies Are Cool has pink in it too. So what's up with pink? I don't really know where it came from, um, but there's just this specific soft shade of pink um, that is really comforting to me, and um, I have synesthesia, which is that thing where you like. Um, you have like senses that get mixed up. So for me, I associate colors with things a lot of the time and pink just feels like calm and soft and safe to me. So um, I just like 
having it everywhere. And fun fact, the covers of Dancing at the Pity Party and Bodies Are Cool both have, uh, they're both pink, but you might not be able to tell it's the exact same <laughs> shade of pink. I kind of did that as just like, let's see if <laughs> and um the my art director that I love, um, Jenny Kelly, I've worked with her a lot and she just started calling it Tyler Pink when I put Aww. it in stuff. It makes him so happy. I love that. You have a signature color. Yeah. I didn't like go into it trying to make it a thing, but every now and then I'll be like sitting on the couch and I have like my iPad case and my switch and like a book and a bunch of things around me and they're all like the exact same color and I feel like I'm like that um green lady in New York this like cool elderly lady who has green hair and only wears green and her whole house is green she's like I love her it's like Kelly green too yeah it's so cool um yeah maybe I'll be the pink version of that one day could be (laughs) <laughs> I believe oh, cool. you can manifest this. Mm-hmm. Um, now for a slightly more difficult question, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And I was wondering, because you started with a graphic memoir and then you went to a picture book, um, what were some of the like challenges in wrapping your brain around those two different projects and like flipping from one to the other? Um, I guess like for a picture book, I you know, it's supposed to be for little kids. So um, I have all these memories from when I was little where I would look at picture books and just look at the pictures. Um, And kind of even after I learned to read, I'm a really visual person and I love looking at pictures and especially in children's books, the art can be um, more impactful than the writing. So since this book was designed for as young of kids as I could make it, I wanted the art to be really engaging and have a lot of detail and fun things to look for so that parent could kind of put it in front of their kid and just let the kid <laughs> explore even if they don't know how to read yet. Um, I, When I was pitching the book to my publisher, Uh, I was saying I wanted it to be a little bit like Where's Waldo, like not as detailed as that, but still like a whole bunch of stuff where kind of each time you open it, um, you notice different things. So that definitely was not the case with um, Dancing at the Pity Party. It was much more narrative and like obviously way more personal. Um, Although Bodies Are Cool is about a topic that's really meaningful to me, but the actual art I was drawing was just like people having fun. So it was very light in that regard. And I did it like at the very beginning of um, quarantine. So it was like (laughs) right in the thick of like being isolated and like being scared to go to Walgreens to pick up toilet paper and all that. And I'm just drawing all these people being like at a public pool. (laughs) (laughs) like having fun was like that's fair Mm -hmm. I will say when you you mentioned picture books and distinctive images my brain immediately was like hey remember that picture book you were obsessed with as a kid Mm -hmm. there was this Saint George and the Dragon book that I had that had like these intricate borders that were covered in these tiny drawings and it's like that like every time I opened it I would notice some little detail so yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's going to be this book for some kid. They're going to be like, oh, man, I remember this one book. Oh, that makes me feel so good to think about. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I read this book with my baby. He is two and a half. And every time he flip through it, he's like, look, look. And it's something different. <laughs> so he's always pointing out different things. Um, I really love how inclusive it is. I listened to another podcast you were on and you talked about how you created a spreadsheet to try and account for all of these different body types and just the different textures and colors and scars and, you know, uh, maybe like 
like different things people have going on with their bodies, you know, that we may not think about unless that's something that we deal with personally. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I really love the intentionality behind like how inclusive it is. You know, every time I go through it, I see something different as well. And I'm an adult, you know, so I think that this, this book could be that for adults also. Uh, It's just, it's really beautiful. I was telling the rest of the people on our podcast team that I kind of sing this book to my baby when I'm reading it to him. It's like more of a chant, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's really just super beautiful. And I'm really grateful that books like this exist on our shelves here in the library and just exist in general, because I don't remember having access to books like this as a kid. And I think that's so important. That's something we talk about a lot as a group is representation mattering so much. And when was the first time we felt seen as queer people in books and in libraries? Because that's generally where it's synced up, right? We saw ourselves represented first through books. And that wasn't for most of us, I think, until we were maybe preteens or teenagers. And so it's really, really beautiful. But even though this isn't specifically meant for queer people or queer life, it is super validating for all different types of bodies and families and people. And I really, really just love that. And thank you for letting this exist. Oh, thank you. That's that's so great to hear. It really was the goal. I just wanted it to be representative of the way that the world actually looks. That's something I've mentioned before I feel like the um the beach page I've had my fair share of like turfs and fat phobic people and whatever leave comments and I'm like the beach page just looks like if you go to an actual beach like I mean obviously I put a lot of effort into trying to make it as inclusive as possible so maybe it's a little more like oh there's one of these and one of those than you'd find at like an average beach but like on the whole you're not like going to a beach and everyone looks the same no so (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) I'm really glad that it's helping people out I um my two sisters have both struggled with eating disorders and um, I've never been diagnosed with one, but I was pretty close also. So we have this like really diaculture family and it was really important to me to make something that um, is like just fully body positive without any kind of um, I don't know, like sidebars where it's like, actually you should be healthy or whatever kind of nonsense. Like just wanted it to be joyful. And I got an Instagram message the other day from a parent whose kid saw um, someone on the bus with a big tummy and they said, oh, it's a bodies are cool tummy. Oh, that's that's so good. My heart. I feel like there's like a natural progression from Bodies Are Cool to Erica Mullen's Let's Talk About It, because she also like that book is so beautifully inclusive, like limb difference, body type, like everything is there. Um, I just I don't know. I thought about that the other day. I was like, man, this is like the ultimate like children's to teens library for families <laughs> to have. It's like Bodies Are Cool and then Let's Talk About It. Like, Yes. I'm so glad to be part of that. Absolutely. Uh, I listened to another interview that you were on also, and you talked about, you know, growing up in this diet culture that was happening in your family unit, but it coming from a place that was very wholesome and, you know, your mom, your dad, they thought they were doing the right things by reinforcing these ideas. And I think that's so powerful to recognize and then also try to combat as you move forward, right? I still remember the first time as a young person that I felt shame about my body because of something a family member said. And as a parent now myself, it's really important for me to make sure that my babies know that whatever their body looks like, it's perfect. 
And I, I think that just recognizing that sometimes damage comes from a place that feels like it is really wholesome is really important because sometimes we don't know that we're doing things that are harmful or hurtful to other people. Um, and so I, I really appreciated that aspect of your share in that interview. And I'm wondering, uh, I know that you put a call out on social media for feedback of what people wanted to see in this book. Um, I think more specifically, you were asking what, what body parts do they wish they had learned to love as a young person or something in that nature? Please correct me. Um, but I'm curious if you had an experience like that when you were a young person, do you remember the first time that you felt uncomfortable about a part of your body? Oh my gosh. Um, it almost feels like I can't remember a specific instance because just the whole environment was so tense and judgy. Um, I happen to be a pretty lanky little kid. Um, I'm pretty tall and I got tall quickly and um, and I remember my great grandma's caretaker telling me when I was like seven or something I was um, in a bathing suit because my cousins are and I were playing in the sprinkler in our backyard <laughs> um, and she she was like, oh, you're so thin. And she said it in this like complimentary way. And so um, I didn't stay lanky and thin my whole life. And I felt like I was like failing um, as I moved away from that. And uh, mom had been chubby when she was little. Her name's Rhonda and people used to call her Rhonda. I know. And I, so I know that she just didn't want her kids to get made fun of. Like I totally empathize with that. And like I don't feel angry with my parents. I mean, I do sometimes, but sure. I know that like they did what they did because they were being influenced by the same culture that influences me so I'm more I'm angry at the culture and not at them um but there yeah there was just so much judgment about bodies um my mom used to tell me to suck in my stomach all the time I have always had a round tummy that's just the shape that my body is um even when I was a skinny little kid, I still was like skinny with a little tummy. And every time we took pictures, my mom would tell me to suck it in. She would say like, I just, I want to tell you so that no one else tells you. Um, and it just, <sighs> it's just so crushing to think of now. And it's so hard to undo. I'll be like in my apartment, alone like doing dishes like at night in my pajamas and notice that I'm sucking in my stomach and it <laughs> I just don't want that for other kids um like I've been able to have a pretty happy life even with all this um baggage <laughs> my body and food and everything but there are a lot of people where like they don't because the eating disorder is just so loud in their heads my sister's been to a whole bunch of um inpatient treatment centers and it's we kind of call it like it's one of her careers like it sort of feels like she has like a of masters in like eating disorders just because of the amount of like hours that she spent learning about them and going to therapy and stuff um and yeah it's just so important to me and um it makes me happy to see that I, I feel like culture is shifting like 
ever so slowly and slightly, but it's something and hopefully it continues to um, move in that direction. And, you know, um, I, I haven't gone to read your other books uh, yet, as I've said, uh, Dancing with the Pity Party. I am I am late to the Tyler Fetter party. Um, but uh, you explore so many big feelings and and dancing with the pity party of course you talked about you know navigating that space between going back to school and like being with your family during that time and on this podcast we talk a lot about how queerness doesn't like respect the workday like you don't get to like go to work then go home and that's when that's when I mm-hmm. let my queerness out but another aspect of that that I feel we're only now really beginning to talk about and possibly it's accelerated because of the pandemic is emotions are the same way. Um, and when you work in public facing a public facing position, like it's, it's how do you navigate those big feelings between those two spaces, um, whether it's grief or, or you're having a, a difficult time because you know you are you are navigating your transition or or your own queerness and it causes a lot of emotions and trying to acknowledge them without like most of us try to like suppress it at work because it's like I one don't have the time to like go through everything that has led to this point um and also you do you have a job to do and it's it's and I, I was wondering if any of my other podcasters or you, Tyler, uh, want to talk about, you know, navigating that space and, and feeling big emotions, whether you're on the clock or not. Because um, as uh, Dakar pointed out, we, uh, we all pretty much have <laughs> ADD. I was diagnosed over the pandemic. Um, Me too. But, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> But it's, and, and I talk about it a lot because unraveling the impact that has had on me and, and navigating those behaviors is very much a process at home and at work where I feel as a culture, we're getting better about talking about mental health and mental illness, but it's still tricky to figure out what do I say at work? Like, how do I explain what is happening to people, especially for for something that impacts performance, um, and and there's just so many so many overlaps between personal and professional that we are we still as a culture I feel are not sure how to navigate. One of the <laughs> worst times in my life, um, I was dealing with a really bad breakup of a really nasty relationship. I was working at a grocery store. And I was just, I could not, but I couldn't call in because I worked at a grocery store and, you know, your, your good old retail work, they don't really care if you're a big sad. Um, <laughs> so I legitimately several times during shifts, I would just be weeping while taking orders and like customers sometimes would be like, do I, do I talk to this person? And someone would, some would try to be like, are you okay? And I'd be like, yeah, smiling through the tears that are just actively pouring down my face because <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's been, there's been some times um, that were not fun and definitely no one, like a manager wasn't like, hey, do, should you go home? No, just let that happen. Go stand in the cooler for a little while. <laughs> Oh my god. I really admire that you were like able to let yourself cry though. Like I, the way that I am when I'm dealing with like a big psychological thing and trying to be a, a not public like a public figure but just like a life facing person mm. it's like I feel like my body just instinctively like sucks everything inside and I'm kind of like a robot just like going through the motion so the fact that you were able to just like let yourself cry even if it felt weird and was like an awkward situation I feel like bravo to you it's actually just that I'm a very weepy bean um I cannot like everything makes me cry happy crying angry crying it's happening so 
I now want a shirt that has that, a VPN. Yeah, that's so cute. Uh, that is uh, adorable. Like, <laughs> Speaking of crying at work, I feel like this is a good segue. Um, Michael, like you're saying, queerness doesn't respect the workday <laughs> and neither does, you know, having big feelings all the time. Even if we, we do have a superpower of being able to suck those in and save face, like you're saying, Tyler, <laughs> we're still feeling those things really big on the inside. Um, and I mentioned this to all of you before, but when I read Dancing at the Pity Party, I was at the circulation desk while we were closed for the pandemic and, you know, just waiting for people to call for me to bring books out to them. And I was sobbing through the book. Um, my coworkers are like, are you okay over there? And I'm like, I'm fine, I swear. Um, but the this book is so beautiful, Tyler. I think about it a lot. Um, in my first email to you, I told you I felt like this book was a universe gift. And I, I genuinely mean that. I feel like it is so powerful for you to be able to share your experience and your loss and your grief in the way that you did. And so I just want to talk a little bit more about that. I know Shannon had some questions that they wanted to ask you about dancing at the pity party, but I'm really excited to, to talk about what that process was like for you. And I just want to say thank you so much for writing that book. It's so beautiful. Oh, thank really you. Is. When I was working on it, I really felt like um, it felt kind of self-indulgent because it was like, I'm just spilling my like drama. <laughs> with the world and like I'm not, not like a celebrity where people just instinctively want to know about the person's um, personal life and it's been such a gift to hear from other people after it came out that it helped them I mean of course I wanted that but um, it still like almost surprises me every time it just is really <laughs> meaningful to me so thank you it's from it as I say, it feels like being that kid in class who has a question but is scared to ask it, and someone else finally asks it, and you're like, okay, I'm not the only one. All right. Uh, that's amazing because I was the kid always that was scared to raise my hand. So I'm so glad that I can help other people like that. Um, and you know, when we were talking about having to have your like emotional life and your um work life uh fight with each other when I graduated from college so my mom died my sophomore year of college when I graduated I remember being at graduation with my dad and we we're looking at the little program they give you that has everyone's name who's graduating and it has um an asterisk or like a symbol by the people's names who got different honors and awards and stuff. And I didn't have anything. I just, I had one major. I did not double major. I didn't have a minor. I just made it through the four years. And my dad and I were saying like, there should be something for your mom died during, <laughs> during college. Like that was my honor. And I feel like it could be that with so many things. Like just, I transitioned during college. Like I win. Like it takes so much work to do any of those things. Um, and maybe more work than like doing some extra credit research or whatever. <laughs> yes. Um, that actually, I was wondering because, you know, you studied screenwriting, that kind of thing. Did that, does that affect your comic writing process? Do you find yourself kind of thinking cinematically when you're building panels and stuff? Yeah, I think I do. I actually got into screenwriting because I liked art and it felt like the most visual way of writing. Um, so yeah, they definitely influence each other. I think it's like the most helpful kind of writing to have studied for comics because it's dialogue and it's scene directions, which are like basically the art in the book. Right. Um, and I did primarily comedy or like dramedy kind of stuff um, in college. So yeah, it totally affected um, my work now. 
cool. It's kind of like the feel I got. Um, I'm glad it comes through. It does. Michael, you had your hand up a second ago. Oh, it's just Tyler. What you were what you were saying about you know having that honor next to your name. It reminded me very much of um, when I was in college. It sounded very similar. My friend and I were talking. Um, he unfortunately went through a, a very rough time mentally uh, in college, and every at the beginning of every semester, like the the professors would be like, "You get like you know." you can like skip like two or like three classes and no questions asked. It's fine. Um, or, you know, emergency or whatever. And we were saying how, if we had ever become professors, we would say you can skip like two classes and you have like three life cards when something happens, like not, it's not an emergency. No one died. Nothing's on fire, nothing like that. But life just, you can't, like you cannot get up. You cannot go to class. Just turn in one of the cards. No questions asked you're good. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is just like that, just someone recognizing that as like life happens and it is not always very good and you just can't. Yeah, I feel like in high school, the vibe that I got from like the teachers and administration was just like school's the most important thing and when people say they had someone died, die, it's like they're trying to get out of something. And they just sort of looked at us like we were all trying to like scheme our way out of getting work done. And I'm sure there are like a few people that do that. But on the whole, like my mental health was crap in high school. <laughs> and if like a single teacher had been like, this is a hard time in your life. Like sometimes you just need to rest or like just have a little extra time on something or to just tell us like we're doing a good job. Even if our grades aren't great, but like you're just getting through it. I think it would have been really meaningful. And I think that's why the the book, the types of books you write um, uh, from what I've read and from what Dakri has said and everything, it's very important that those are out there in the world so people can see that. So you're like, look, you you need to rest. Like, yes, this is hard and it it will be hard for a while and that is okay. And so thank you so much for like putting these out there in the world for people to discover because much like queerness, most of the times you find it because you stumble over it. And the more, more books like that that we have, um, the greater the chance that someone who needs it is going to be able to find it, or we will be able to be like, oh, have you read this? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. So, we love a, an, a good RA. Uh-huh. <laughs> Reader's advisory, my friend. Yes. Uh, that does kind of, this isn't a question so much as a, a thank you, because A, you made a comment about Elizabeth uh, Kubler-Ross's whole process of grief was not the way that we use it now. Thank you for that because it drives me crazy. I had a minor in psychology and I learned that and then I was like, why? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but also one of the things I love about about Pity Party and this kind of is kind of, oof, kind of is kind of. Hmm. I had coffee this morning. Uh, Did you though? Did you really? I, it's right here. I'm not finished with it. Um, like bodies are cool with dancing at the pity party, you captured so many facets of sadness, how it can come in waves, how it can look, how it can feel. Like I really appreciated how complicated you, how you managed to portray that complicated nature of sorrow and sadness and grief. Um, Also side note, thank you for drawing leg hair. Thank you. Oh my God. My pleasure. It's honestly like one of my favorite things to draw. I feel like it looks like sprinkles and (laughs) it's often like the last thing I do when I finish up a piece. It's like I give people rosy cheeks and then I draw the leg hair and like now it's complete. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Shannon and I were talking about that yesterday. It's funny. And now I'm going to always think of like hair as sprinkles. I love that. Um, The other thing, and I kind of made mention to this a little bit earlier is just all of the different types of bodies that are in this book. And 
again, while it's not specifically intended to like illuminate queerness, I think often that queer bodies are marginalized and they're shrouded in shame and they're othered. And it's, I think that is a really strong parallel with just bodies that are outside of the, that norm box, right. Of white, skinny, tall, you know, any bodies that look other than that are experiencing the same types of feedback that queer bodies often experience. And so I think that that is really beautiful. And I love that in your book, you have folks that have, you know, top surgery scars and you have very obviously queer folks and different kinds of families. And I just, it's just so wonderful. I cannot speak highly enough about your work. Oh, thank you. I feel like so much of the time when we see bodies that are outside of this one look that we always see, whether they're visibly queer or they're fat or they're disabled or whatever it is, they're often in stories that are explicitly about that thing, which is not bad on its own, but um, like I, there wasn't a ton of room in Dancing at the Pity Party to show like all these different people because it was primarily a story about my immediate family. So it's like four people, five people. But whenever um, I could include other people, there's like a little segment about the Dead Moms Club. It's this like imaginary club that I have in my head um, for people that are all in the same uh, crummy scenario. And I'd like to just throw in people with different um, appearances where it's like, you can have blue hair and be sad your mom died. It's not like if you have blue hair, your whole personality is just, I have blue hair. <laughs> Strangers, I had blue hair at one point. And let me tell you, people make a lot of assumptions about yeah. you. Yeah, like there's so much else going on. I mean, it's like the same as what we talked about with um, trying to go to work or school or whatever and be going through something like you're, external appearance is just one chunk of your whole self as a person for sure although I would like to go back to to something you said that I really appreciated where you know the people who have these different types of bodies and everything um that's usually the focus of the story uh and I like how you include them without it being the focus of the story which I don't know maybe may easier in like graphic novels because you can just draw whoever it right. is but but it reminds me of like at a certain point um as as you know I was out and you know devouring all the queer books which of course still do um I started to especially at the time period I started to get really tired of all the queer narratives being either about coming out or 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 struggling to accept their sexuality, which don't get me wrong, is is very it's a very important narrative to have out there. But I, I just was getting to the point where it's like, that's not the only story we have to tell. Like all the stuff that happens to non-queer people, it happens to us. Like I don't I don't need the story to be about queerness. I just want the relationship to be queer. Like everything else can just be, you know, save the world, all that type of stuff kind of thing. So uh, I appreciate that um, you want to like show these different aspects and these different bodies, but not make that the center of the story. I would, I wish sometimes that there were more books that did not make those things like the story. <laughs> so yeah, I, I totally agree. I feel like it's how whenever someone's Jewish, there's like a thing about the Holocaust like if a book is like a Jewish book, it's about the Holocaust. And so many people like um, have read my book and gone, oh, there's so much, like I've learned so much about Judaism from writing your book. And I'm like, I didn't even think of it as a Jewish book. It just felt like a book about death and, <laughs> and grief. And my family happens to be Jewish. So that stuff is in there because it's just involved. Um, 
But I think that says a lot about how how scarce these other perspectives are in stories that that most people, when they think about Jewish stories, they think about the Holocaust because uh, apparently those are the things that are getting through published, and that's and that oh, if Judaism is centered, like no, it's it's a a, a major religion. Like a lot of people practice it in their daily life. That was something I was wondering when I was reading Dancing at the Pity Party. I was like, was that I figured it probably wasn't a conscious decision because it's an accurate portrayal of your life. Like you're like, this is part of my life. Why would I take that out? But I wondered if there was a moment in writing or editing where either you or someone else on your team was like, do we need to add more explaining? Do we need to change something? Do we need to take something out? Um, Because I know that's happened a lot with a lot of different uh, comics that involve different cultures is that sometimes the editing team will be like um we don't know what that word means can you explain it yeah (laughs) yeah I I'm really lucky that uh I mentioned this before I have like the greatest publishing team and the publisher I've been working with is also Jewish so that probably helped but I I basically just wanted to like straddle the line between like explaining enough so that people who aren't Jewish like understand what's going on but not explaining so much so that people who are familiar with this stuff are like oh my god I'm bored like I know everything already um but there was never any kind of pressure to leave stuff out I mean uh the shiva which is like this time period after the funeral for seven days where you have like a um, an open house and kind of just like eat bagels and talk um, that was like such a huge part of my experience of losing my mom like it you know it's over a week where right. a funeral is like a couple hours like it was a big thing so it would have felt really weird to leave that out um, so it just happened that for people who didn't um grow up Jewish or grow up in an area with a bunch of Jewish people where they're familiar with this stuff. I guess it just seemed like a Jewish book. (laughs) It was not an aim, but I guess it's cool. I'm, I'm happy to have been able to teach people about, um, like, I think shivas are one of my favorite parts of Jewish culture because In my experience, they've been super, super comforting for me. Um, It's nice to share. That's fair. On a kind of tangentially related, our best kind of related, um, (laughs) you know, talking about books that you don't see perspectives of, do you have a book that you remember being like the first book where you felt seen as a person, as a Jewish kid, as anything? Um, This isn't so much like, specific identity related but when I was in like eighth grade I think I started reading the princess diaries series and (laughs) if you've only seen the movies and not read the books the books are really different and they're like a lot darker um and the protagonist is just like constantly freaking out (laughs) and she later gets diagnosed with depression but like her they're written in the form of a journal and like half the pages are in all caps with like a ton of exclamation points (laughs) I was also obsessed with those books when I was in middle school they're so good they I um I actually mentioned one briefly and dancing at the pity party because the final book in the series came out like right before my mom died but the yeah just having a main character that's like explicitly uncool where it's not like cute uncool like Lizzie McGuire where she's just like I'm unpopular but like my outfit is amazing and my hair is amazing like the only thing that makes me uncool is that I'm kind of clumsy Mia was just like an absolute hot mess all the time. And, and she also uh she was tall and like felt weird about it and that's how I was at the time and just like I just felt like this is me so, I don't know how much stuff we had in common like identity wise but in our identities is just 
really anxious, over dramatic people where we're like quiet on the outside, but very over dramatic on the inside. I felt very seen. And I think that's that is a lot of the time is like you find a character who may not be that similar to you, but there's a facet of their their lives and their their experiences that is, and you're like, finally, someone yeah. understands. Really? Uh-huh. Yes. But it's not say, just me. Uh. Yeah. There was this one part in one of the books where she was going out of town for some princess duty and she had to leave instructions for how to care for her cat. So it's just like this whole <laughs> chunk of pages that are like explicit yep. instructions. Like you have to empty the cat food thing so that the shape of the can is still showing and all this like <laughs> really nitpicky stuff. And even that, I was just like, it's me. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's because the cat will not eat it. Yeah. A very small child, it will not eat it. It's like, ah, no, the corner's broken off. Don't want it. Thanks. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I get that moment of aha is just so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like a warm bath. Of like there's someone else like me, <laughs> even if it's a fictional character. <laughs> Still counts. I love that analogy, like a warm bath. That is yeah. totally how it feels. Yeah, it's just cozy. Um, my sisters and I, if we find books that like are just fun to read and easy, we call them uh, books that are like candy. Like, oh, this book is like candy. I do it's that so too. Delicious. Yeah. You just like gobble it up. Oh, is there a yeah. series? Uh-huh. Excellent. I've read the whole series. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. uh, my parents and I would we'd call them popcorn books. Oh, that's you just because you just keep. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> what is it about books that we just want to eat them up? <laughs> <laughs> There's, oh, what is it? There is a quote from some famous philosopher that I remember from, from school where he talks about like different books and how some books you devour, some books you savor, and some books you take apart piece by piece. Oh, who was it that said that? that? Yeah, it was a great quote. I was like, I don't like the this dude It was not <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> While, while a great philosopher, no, not Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty philosophical. Uh, I give up. I'm not going to Google that right now. Uh, <laughs> we can add it to our reference stats later. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Wait, I think I found it. Was it Sir Francis Bacon? Yes. Yes, it okay. was. I had to Google that. I did not know that. I just wanted to <laughs> chime in there. <laughs> That just sounds like too, like, respectable a personage to, like, mention on our podcast (laughs) about what messes we are. I don't read Sir Francis Bacon. I don't quote him. He doesn't even go here. No, he doesn't hang out. He doesn't sit with us. We don't know her. (laughs) Um, One thing that we all agreed on... um, on a side note, is that we agreed on something? Yes, we did uh, <laughs> on our on our chat uh, on our group chat about this uh, particular episode. Was it's not so much a question, but we all wanted to equally thank you for drawing leg hair. My pleasure. <laughs> I did also wanted to note because I clocked it in one of the chapter changes. I think is where it was. You drew the cool S, and thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't seen that name. I knew what you were talking about when you said You know the coolest. Like the coolest <laughs> transcends <laughs> generations. Somehow, <laughs> everyone <was> doodling it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Another a book that I, series that I love, made a reference to it. And it's not a graphic novel it was a, an actual written novel so I was reading this description and like halfway through it I was like wait a minute they're describing the coolest <laughs> it was like a fantasy it was great uh, oh my gosh I love that nostalgia moment I love that there's like this goofy shape that got people into drawing who maybe wouldn't be into drawing I know it's not like drawing drawing but <laughs> it's something 
It counts. Yeah. I feel like a lot of those showed up during indoor recess in elementary school. There was also like the dog that was like four circles. Yes, like, yes. Where okay, two you know the, are the muzzle and then two are the yes. paws. Uh-huh. Yes. I don't know where these things come from. It's like they just start out of like, nowhere. Just... Yeah. <laughs> so this is a common joke uh, with Daiquiri and I, because we actually worked at the same branch, but my mom is an artist. Uh, both my parents are artists. And cool. I am horrible at drawing. <laughs> and I have to draw um, during some of my programs, you know, and it's so horrible, but sometimes I'll post them on social media and just show like my mom's work next to my artwork <laughs> because it's always like a common question, like, oh, your mom nailed it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nailed it. That we is did. literally how it looks. So <laughs> it's so bad. Like we did um Easter egg painting and my mom did like actual portraits of my daughter like on the easter eggs and um yeah it was mine were horrible and <laughs> put them side by side like nailed it see do you see where i get this from okay. okay at this point then she's just stunting on you like at that point hold on that's just rude <laughs> I mean, my dad played a ton of sports in high school he was like on the football team and my mom coached softball in her 20s and I can, can do nothing I hated gym class growing up I would like run away if the ball was heading towards me so sometimes things just <laughs> you think they're gonna pass down but <laughs> maybe they skip a generation or something I actually I did because my daughter draws very well so I'm like very <laughs> super happy for her I'm like, you got it. You got the gift. One of us did. And I will say with drawing, like doing it a lot really changes how well you can draw. Yeah. I know that like people have natural inclinations for different stuff, but um, the art that I made when I started putting my art online, like 10 years ago, it looks so different from the art that I do now. And it's, I haven't taken classes or anything. It's just from like doing it all the time. You just naturally improve. That does bring me to a question that we had, which was, do you have advice or what advice would you give to someone who's looking to express themselves through a creative medium, whether that's drawing, you know, film, whatever. Um, This might be like over... Um, I don't know, advice that everyone says, but I feel like just not trying as hard as you can to not be a perfectionist is so helpful. I'm a massive perfectionist in my life, but um, with my art style, when I started giving myself permission to like make things a little bit messy and like, um, have my handwriting just look like handwriting and not be like a font and all this stuff. It just like loosens the pressure. And I think we're able to be more creative and generate more ideas when we're not like, oh my God, is this going to be perfect? So, um, I mean, it's hard like if it's your job or you have a deadline or something, but if you're able to find time to just, if you like drawing to just like, have a sketchbook or like doodle while you're on zoom calls or whatever and just like let it be fun um I think you just naturally will improve and um enjoy it more and um I know like people who are primarily writers um we'll do those morning pages where you get up in the morning and just write whatever comes to mind for like three pages worth. And I haven't done that (laughs) when I wake up in the morning (laughs) in no mood to be writing. But I had a writing teacher in college that spoke really highly of that. Um, So 
I think Tyler, in this, in the same way you shared about letting your art loosen up and be maybe like a little bit messy, mm -hmm. there is a way to do the three writing pages. That's also messy. Um, I had participated in the artist way group and it's like a creative group to refocus and, you know, on anything that you're doing. And one of the parts of that is writing three pages every day. And you can literally just scribble and just be thinking in your head what you would want to be writing. Oh, so it doesn't even have to be words or you can just do one page and three times, right? So you're just marking over it. So it's unlegible by the time you finish it, if you are actually writing. So it's more of the process of just like mentally getting uh -huh. that stuff out. So you could just technically scribble That's and it amazing. does the same thing. Yeah. I really love that. I have never heard that before. I, uh, I'm in therapy, obviously, <laughs> and um, throughout the process of working on my books, I get like writer's block or feel frustrated or whatever. And my therapist used to say that looking out the window is part of writing, and that was really comforting to me. That like so much happens in your head when you're not actively working on the project and that stuff um, can impact your creative work in a really positive way. Um, I know capitalism makes us feel like <laughs> we have to just be like sitting at a keyboard just like this all day long. <laughs> Insert cat with keyboard gif. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, it's like when you earlier you were bringing back to when you were talking about rest and and recognizing rest as a necessary part of the process for honestly for anything for whatever yeah. you're trying to do even even if it's something you love mm -hmm. like no one loves something a hundred percent of the time you will no. need to take a break from it everyone um, gets burned out from animal crossing eventually <laughs> Look, <laughs> I'm wondering if I should like insert an apology my, to my husband if you're listening. I do love you. Like, <laughs> poor Michael's husband. <laughs> gets... Whoa, <rude. laughs> I am a gift. <laughs> which and is the wrapping is very difficult. <laughs> I was like, which is good because he probably wouldn't pay for me. But. <laughs> 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 hmm. But yeah, like when I was working on Dancing at the Pity Party, I mean, it was like a really emotionally um, involved thing. And I would like draw a page and then flop on the couch for an hour and then sit back down and work on some more. And like, I don't think I would have been able to get through it if I didn't allow myself um, those, uh, I, my um, publisher called them moments of collapse which sounds so like elegant, <laughs> even when it was just me being like, I'm just going to play Candy Crush right now. <laughs> I love that moments of collapse. It's yeah. so fancy. I know, for... it sounds like I need like a fainting couch, like from the 1800s and just like... <laughs> Oh my God, can we talk to Org Health about getting fainting couches? <laughs> I mean, you can, I don't think we're gonna. <laughs> I mean, I tried to order a cot for napping, so I think a fainting couch is out. <laughs> you could just call it a fainting couch. That's what you're using it for. <laughs> Multi-purpose. <laughs> like, uh, I'm a mom. I need to nap. I just, I just want to take a nap. I don't care if it's for my lunch. <laughs> could somebody yeah. provide a cot here? I I exist. I need to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It doesn't matter. But yes. Oh, somebody purchases a cot. <laughs> Just throwing that out there onto the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> On that note, I think we should all take a nap. Um, thank you so much, <laughs> Tyler, smooth. for joining us. Hey. Thank uh, you so much for having me. Yes, thank you, thank you. We are so excited that you were able to be here with us and super excited to meet Opal Dostridge. Oh, I'm happy to share her with you. Um, are You Mad at Me comes out September 5th, but it's yes. available for pre-order right now. Although I'm not sure if you Google Are You Mad at Me if it's the first thing that comes up. <laughs> 
But you can put my name after it and then it'll show up. It's the the pur- purple this time, not pink. We're edging slightly away from, <laughs> from the Tyler pink color. I pushed for it, but there's only, you know, I <laughs> there's only so much say that I have. Um, Actually, when you Google it, it is the first thing that comes up ooh. as the Google listing. Yeah, there's like music videos that pop up at the top, but the first listing is through Penguin Random House, and it is your book. Yeah, they know how to do SEO. <laughs> That's nice. Where else can people find you? Um, I am on Instagram at Tyler Fetter. Um, I post so infrequently now. I keep wanting to share more, but it's hard to be a person. <laughs> and um, my Etsy shop is roaringsoftly.com. Um, lately, I've been doing one minute portraits every now and then, which are really fun to do. Um, they go along with that like messy art thing. And I'm also on Twitter if anyone even uses Twitter anymore, but I'm, <laughs> I'm at That's fair. That's fair. Well, we have loved to have you here. Um, and I'm, I feel like you've had a good time. I know we've had a good time. Oh, good. I'm giving two thumbs up. Yay. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. And with that, Thanks for joining us today. I hope you laughed. I hope we gave you things to talk about. And I hope you keep asking questions. Until next time, queers.